Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Man, that is good. Can we give it up for our worship team? Thank you. I am fine. I love you guys. Koki, Stephen, God bless you. In my excitement, I, I'm, I turned 45, so I'm not as athletic as I used to be. I know I work out, and you're all shocked, but no, it's good to be here this morning with you guys. Um, man, you guys know the drill. Turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, tell them you love them, bless them. Not love, tell them you like them. All right, turn to your uh, other neighbor and uh, tell them, go Broncos, go Broncos. Not Denver, not the Denver Broncos. Boise State Broncos. Come on, how many Boise State Bronco fans do we have here today? Awesome, awesome. Do we have a video to show? Okay, I want to show a video here pretty quick. But before I do that, uh, man, I want to thank Kate again. I, I don't know if she left, but uh, Kate Wilson, she's my cousin. And I'm so proud of her for starting this organization. It's uh, Foster and Heart. Foster, I want to say Foster and Care, but Foster and Heart. And what she is doing is absolutely amazing. And as a church, we're going to get behind that. Uh, when we were watching that video, my wife turned to me. If you don't know our kind of family situation, we got seven kids. She turned to me and said, hey, we're going to have more. And um, I'm like, all right, you can take care of all of them and I'm out, right? But our heart, my wife and I's heart, is for uh, children. We adopted our three oldest kids, and uh, we love them, and we are absolutely behind fostering and adoption. I think more than anything, it shows and reflects the heart of Jesus and what the kingdom of God is, is all about. So... Um, I'm going to show a video. Uh, I wanted to show la- this, this video last week, but uh, I kind of went against it. But I'd like to show maybe some of my life to you, if that's all right. No? Okay. That's what the church growth people say you're supposed to do. So anyways, I'm kidding. Um, th- this, this video is from uh, a football game. My oldest two, uh, my oldest set of twins, uh, they play flag football, and we were in the championship game. For three years, we had won uh, three games. Uh, Joel Cano is in the back. He's our head coach. He is absolutely amazing. I love your face. Can you stand? Joel, just stand. Come on, do it. Give it up for Joel. I love this man. So he, he I, I, man, he is a philosopher coach, and uh, I just, he's done a great job with our team and with my sons, and he's, he's done a great job of just loving them. But we had only won, I think, three, four games over the last two or three years. We made it to the championship game, and guess, the irony is so thick. Guess what team we were? The Cowboys. And so I think it's, it's, it's our year, guys. So we were in the championship game. Long story short, uh, we have five, we're tied up 13-all. We have five seconds left in the game. Joey, our quarterback, makes a beautiful move, slides to the left, and throws the football to my son in the back of the end zone. I just want you to check this out. And I want you to check kind of in the middle some strange dad kind of doing something. So check this out. 
Come on. And it went on and on and on and on. And I lost my mind. I lost, I lost my mind. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Wesley, who caught the touchdown, he didn't care. He just wanted to go home and play Halo. I'm like, dude, this is the greatest moment in our lives. Come on. Get more excited about this. I'll give you half my kingdom. Not a lot. Um, today, the title of my message, and I'm going to try to get through this quickly, but I, man, I feel like this is so important, especially with um, today's culture. But I'm titling this message, um, Becoming a People of Blessing in an Age of Cursing. Becoming a people of blessing or a community of blessing in an age of cursing. So I'm going to read a chunk of scripture. Is that okay with you? Uh, I got to take five hours worth of material and, uh, and take about five hours today to get through it. But um, there's just so much that I want to like distill um, when it comes to this, this concept of blessing. I don't have enough time. But uh, we're going to get through this chunk of scripture. We're going to read it, and then I'm just going to share a few thoughts. And then I would like to pray for um, all of us at the end. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, everyone saying, God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw, everyone say saw. And God saw that it was, it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Verse 28, and then here we have the climactic kind of part of this, this moment, or you could call it the denouement of this creation story. And the text says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of, of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. I guess we're designed for vegetarianism. No, 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 no. Let me give you just a little, little, little theological lesson here. In Genesis chapter 4, what offering does God accept? Abel or Cain's? Abel's, right? And Abel's offering was a meat offering, and Cain's offering was a vegan offering. So we are a church that loves to eat some barbecue. Come on. Says the guy that doesn't eat, eat meat anymore. Anyways, uh, are we on verse 30? And so verse 30, to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I've given, everyone say given. God's a giver, right? And I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. Verse 31, and God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, in the Hebrew it reads, it was very, very, or super, or super, in a superlative sense, amazingly good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Quickly, let's go to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read two verses, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came. We're kind of hyperlinking here. Basically, we're going to compare several texts uh, in order for us to understand more fully what blessing is in an age of cursing. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Really quick, Romans chapter six, we're gonna read uh, 11 verses. Paul here is talking about baptism. There's echoes of the baptism of Jesus. We're talking about Christian identity as well in this text. Again, we'll explain more fully in the message. Verse one, Paul, as he talks about our union with Jesus, says, what shall we say then? Are we to, to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, as he rhetorically kind of is playing with uh, the church in Rome. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united. Everyone say united. With him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Can I get an amen, church? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus. For the death he died, he died to, died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider, that's kind of a calculating term. If you're an accountant, you love this word. It means, basically means to like count up the sums and think through who you are in Christ. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? All right, bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray. Father, I thank you for uh, your grace. We thank you for your blessing. Lord, I thank you for um, your presence. Lord, we bless you this morning. Lord, I thank you that every son and daughter in this place would be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you are in charge of everything in the universe. And we put our trust in you. We surrender the next 24 minutes and change to you. We love you with all of our heart. And everyone said, amen. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a young man, boy, young man, boy, I was about four years old. Uh, I grew up in Portland. Portland is where Satan lives. <laughs> it's so true, right? No, I love Portland, sort of. But we lived there for seven years. And uh, Portland was responsible for, for turning me into, for a season, into an atheist. Now, let me explain. Uh, I, uh, uh, if you don't know anything about Portland, pretty much every day is soaked with this, like, heavy monochromatic gray, right? So it's just clouds, and it's rain, and as a kid, I just love sunshine. How many of you love sunshine? Right, this is like, it's crazy. Like Portland, you get about 364 days of rain, right? It's kind of that weird drizzle soaking like rain. And uh, every night, God is my witness, my parents will tell you that I would, before I go to bed, I would ask Jesus for sunshine the next day. And we would get sunshine once a year. So that's why I became an atheist for a while. 
for a while. But I remember one day, and probably many of you can um, relate to this. I remember one day waking up and it just felt like time and space just slowed down and magic was in the air. And I remember it just felt like everything was new and the sun was out. And uh, I remember going out with my mom and I was skipping and just my, my heart was just, I was four. I wasn't 32. I was four, right? Um, but I just, man, I just was so full of joy and, and wonder and everything was just alive. And my mom was playing ACDC. I'm kidding. She wasn't. No, what? I wish she was. It was B.J. Thomas back then. Rain drops, give all. But that just, that didn't work because we didn't like rain, right? Sunshine. It was a beautiful day. And I remember my heart was just filled with joy and delight and wonder. Have you ever had one of those experiences before? Everything feels new. Everything feels like it's radiating with glory, right? I love that. But then the irony is just thick. Uh, I remember we were on our way to, uh, we were on a walk and I was on our way to um, get some ice cream. I remember looking up into the sky and a seagull came over. And I just, you can't make up this stuff. This is statistically impossible. I remember looking up into the beautiful sky, like my heart is radiating with glory. I'm like a four-year-old and I'm now believing in Jesus. And I look up and this seagull goes to the bathroom on my face. This is a little bit of a tangent, and some of you are going to hate on me, and don't send me an email, but uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's, um, uh, there's an organization in the NFL called the Seattle Seahawks. Just so you know, there's no such thing as a Seahawk. You go to an ornithologist, and they will tell you there's no such thing as a Seahawk. So let me tell you my hypothesis. There was an NFL exec at the Seattle, in a Seattle office, was bored one day, looked out his window, saw a scavenging bird we call a seagull, and decided to come up with the name Seahawk and named the Seattle Seagulls after a Seahawk. That is to this day why I do not like the Seattle Seahawks. Can I get an amen? From now on, I'm calling them the Seattle Seagulls. Can I get a witness, church? But before I had poop in my mouth, I was, some of you are like, ah. I was just my my I was just radiating with um, delight and joy. What is that? That's called non-depression. One scholar says, if you live by actually this is not one scholar, this is me. If you live, <laughs> I'm quoting myself, people. That's how tired I am. This is what happens when you have seven children. You quote yourself and you refer to yourself in the third person. Um, if you live by a school, you will likely hear the daily shrieks of non-depression. We call it recess. Kids, don't you love it? I love it. I love hearing kids play and shriek with delight. We went to the, um, the zoo yesterday, my wife and I, with our seven children, and we had a delightful time. And uh, my two middle twins, I just loved it. They, they would just randomly shriek with delight, and we're like, shh. Don't scare the animals. And we actually had one zoo person say, you know, you need to keep your kids quiet. I'm like, okay, you can try. <laughs> and I gave him this look. You can try. <laughs> Anyways, I'm in a mood this morning, guys. <laughs> Non-depression, delight, 
um, joy is what you find in the creation story that uh, we read. Um, in fact, the creation story is similar to recess, but it is so much more. Creation story, I like to say, is a grand symphony of soaring delight. You can say it's a, it's a symphony of non-depression. We begin in the prologue in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, the beginning is Rosh uh, and it simply means an indeterminate uh, sequence of time. It's in the beginning God created the diversity and the constellation of things we call space and time and matter out of nothing or ex nihilo. So God made everything that we know, right? God created all things. Can I get an Amen. Some of you are like, I don't need a seminary lesson. Yes, you're going to get it for about five minutes, okay? And then we'll turn into some practical stuff. But God created the space, time, continuum, matter, birds, all of that, with the exception of cats and, and seagulls. We're still trying to figure out where they came from. <laughs> out of nothing. Then we move into, that's the prologue. Then we move into verse 2, and it reads, The earth was without form and void. It's probably a bad translation probably kind of smuggled in some Greek cosmology because the implication is that the earth at this point was, um, the global earth at this point was filled, was more like a global ball of gas. And that's not what we read in the Hebrew. It says the earth was like a desert wasteland. That's a better translation. In other words, the tohu wohu in the Hebrew was more like a desert wasteland. So in other words, God was making the promised land in verse two, the garden for his image bearers so that he could, what? Bless them. So when we think of desert wasteland, we should think of Mad Max, right? Uh, we should think of an expansive canvas of brown when we think of the earth in verse two. And it's out of this promised land, this deserted apocalyptic wasteland that God creates and arranges all the things in order for humans to thrive and to be blessed. We then come to verse 11. Are you guys still with me? I'm nerding out just a little bit, if that's all right, biblically speaking. But God created in verse 11. And it's and in this grand symphony of making and arranging things, uh, through his words, everything is set into motion. In fact, at the very beginning of verse 11, it says, in kind of a prosaic way, and God said... And once God speaks, life explodes onto the scene. And then at the end of the day, I love this. At the end of the day, it says that God saw. Everyone say God saw. God saw that it was good. So the days and the nights, just please hear me. The days and the nights are framed by God said and God saw. Let me just say this really quick. God speaks today. God, I say this probably every other Sunday, but please hear me. A lot of Christians really fail to understand this. But God speaks to us more than we realize. God is not a non-communicative dummy that can't speak our language. God is a speaker. Come, can I get an amen? In fact, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. Paul is telling us that hearing God's voice is cast in the present tense. That means God is speaking minute by minute. He's longing to speak to you. And it's very clear that we live. Everyone say, we live. Jesus tells us, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live. Your dreams and, and your purpose and your meaning and, 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 and your hope and your strength is all radically and intimately dependent upon God speaking. 
But back to the creation story. The days are framed by God said and God saw. And these two words originate the, um, or constitute the original, excuse me, blessing. As one pastor said, uh, what we find in the creation story is that the chorus is blessing. In verse 28, it said, as we read, and God blessed them. In other words, God gave them stuff. He lavished good things to his people. If you want to know what the opposite of blessing is, it's scarcity, it's inadequacy, it's the suppression of life itself. And that is not who God is. God is not depressed. God is not moody. God is not a megalomaniacal being who wants to annihilate life as we know it. Can I get an amen to that? In fact, that's a pagan portrait of an ancient Near East God. In fact, we have uh, rival uh, creation myths in the ancient Near East, and one is called Enuma Elish. And in this story, we have the god Marduk. Everyone say Marduk. Marduk created the world out of a severed body of a goddess that he defeated. And then he made humans to be slaves to the gods. In this creation story, we see God not enslaving humans, but empowering humans and blessing them so that he can partner with them to bring this unfinished project of heaven and earth throughout the global world. Mark chapter 1. You still with me? Jesus comes out of the water. Jesus sees the heavens torn open. This is the apocalypse of God. To tear something open is standard fare in apocalyptic literature. So we know Mark is telling us this is an apocalyptic story. So this is not an apocalypse of annihilation. The story that we find in Jesus is apocalyptic, but it's not about killer viruses. It's not about zombies roaming the earth. This is about the apocalypse of God who loves and blesses his son. And in this baptism story of Jesus that we read in Mark chapter 1, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, kind of an echo of the creation story. And then Jesus hears the voice, his Father saying to him, You are my what? You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. One scholar translates this phrase. I love this. Uh, This is my blessed child in whom I take delight. This is the prototype event for not only Jesus, but for all of us. And I like to suggest this. It was because Jesus was conscious of his baptism and his father's love and, his, and the blessing from his father that he was able to bless other people. In fact, what was his first sermon? We have Luke chapter 4, the Nazareth manifesto, right? He quotes Isaiah 61. But his first sermon in the Gospel of Matthew is what? The Sermon on the Mount. And what does he begin with? Before he talks about anger, before he talks about contempt, before he talks about lust, before he talks about even the generosity of the Father, what does he do? He blesses all the losers, which is everyone in this room. He blesses all the weak people. He blesses all the people who can't make it. He blesses all the zeros. He blesses all the people that don't have all the right skin color. He blesses all the people that man can't make it in life on the other side of the track, whatever. He blesses everyone who the world does not bless. And the reason why is because he was conscious of his father's blessing. In fact, I believe because he never doubted for one second his father's love and his blessing that he had the capacity, this is Jesus, to endure betrayal, accusation, 
outrage, suffering like we can't even imagine, panic, anxiety, frustration, and even death on a cross. The Bible tells us that the joy that was set before Jesus, he what? Where did he get his joy from? Got his joy from his father's love and blessing. I think Jesus, and we say this a lot, I think Jesus was the most happy person in the world. He was filled with joy, filled with joy. But we all know what the problem is. We all know what the problem is when it comes to the themes of delight and joy and blessing and this soaring phenomenon of, man, it's great to be alive, right? This, this concept of blessing and being loved by someone, a father, a mother, all of that for most of us seems elusive. For some of us, we have so much that we do, and this is what we tell ourselves, that we don't have time to experience delight. For others, we're so exhausted, we're run down, we're burnt out, um, that experiencing delight and blessing uh, are seen as, as unattainable on a consistent basis. Uh, on a cultural level, there are many people, and I, I read a lot, and I think this is really true, but many people suffering or are suffering from a diminished expectation about their future. And because of that, joy seems impossible. For example, I had a really fun, funny conversation with one of, one of my favorite people in the world, one of my closest friends. It was a couple of weeks ago. I was 44 at the time, so I was still hanging on to my early 40s. <laughs> now I can't claim... You know, I'm in my mid-40s, right? And we were talking about that. He's 46, and we're having a great conversation. We're talking about God and life and kids, and, and uh, this, we're looking at the sunset. And uh, I remember this is what he said half-jokingly. And he's like, you know what? Is it just all sadness from here on out? <laughs> and we laughed about it, right? But I think there's something true with that. I think there's a deep level of sadness that haunts people. And we can't name it. You, some of you can't name it, but you're dealing with sadness. You're, you're dealing with uh, a low-grade depression. Case in point, Robert Moore, uh, a researcher of, of the dynamics of human moods, uh, has said this, especially in a secularized context, most adults live in a state of chronic depression. Uh, this is different from clinical depression. Clinical depression has more severe features. And thank God for good doctors and thank God for good medicine. And, and thank God I've talked to many people that have had clinical depression and there's hope for you. Uh, and again, we have wonderful technology, but most importantly, we have a doctor and his name is Jesus. And he's our healer and he can heal your brain chemistry and he can heal your body. And there's amazing things. We've had amazing stories of God healing brains. Can I get an amen, church? Uh, but we're not talking about clinical depression. We're talking about chronic depression. And he defines chronic depression as an inchoate grayness, a flatness, a joylessness that permeates life and robs it of its color. The Bible calls this the curse of sin in a more generalized way. In other words, we live, and the Bible's been saying this for a long, 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 long time, right? That we live in a cosmos shot through with sin and cursing. Now, I say this every Sunday, that Jesus is Lord of all things. That Jesus on the cross exhausted the wickedness of the cosmic powers, exhausted their powers, right? 
thereby defeating them. And then he came back from the dead and he launched a new creation. But right now, as followers of Jesus, we live in between the times. Jesus, yes, won the victory over the powers. And yes, Jesus one day will return and make all things new. He will join up, new, join up heaven and earth and he will wipe away every tear and he will defeat all wickedness and all evil and he will restore all things and make all things new. And I wish I would get an amen on that, right? But right now, as followers of Jesus, we are living in between the times. So we still live in a cosmos. Yes, Jesus is in charge of it, but this cosmos is still filled with sin and cursing. Now, some of you are thinking like, hey, Chris, man, cursing? That's archaic stuff, right? Are you talking about witches and potion? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. What, what I'm specifically talking about in cursing is the result of sin. And cursing in a very specific way is the words we use to shame each other. For example, let me give you my story. I remember I was eight years old. It was after a play. And I remember a, a, a girl came up to me and I, I'm still working on forgiving her. She looked at me. She gave me, have you ever had someone give you the look? And you're like, it's the look like, the, okay, that you don't deserve to be alive? Look, he's like, so maybe she looked at me and let me, let me just, go back a little bit. My, my family, before I explain that story, my family is a beautiful family. My dad is six foot five, handsome. Everyone just wanted to be like Ken Wilde, right? He could do everything. He played college basketball. He played the trumpet, played the guitar. I mean, he was a principal. He was a teacher. I mean, he pretty much did everything and everyone wanted to be Ken Wilde, right? And I, had, I happened to be his son, okay? And I didn't have all the talents that he had. My, my mom, my beautiful mom was amazing. She was a cheerleader uh, in high school. She played the drums. I mean, I don't know how those two worked, but they worked. Um, and uh, I, this is kind of, it's kind of a funny thing. For three years straight um, on my high school, high, school, high school basketball team, my mom was voted. It was a little bit weird, but it was true. The prettiest mom they had ever seen. She's just gorgeous, right? Just absolutely gorgeous. I'm like, guys, just shut up. Stop. That makes, that makes me feel weird. But anyways, um, and then I had my two beautiful sisters. They were kind of evil, a little bit contentious. I'm, but absolutely beautiful. Could do everything. Absolutely amazing. Blonde. And then you had me. And I was back then. It's different now. But back then, redheads, redheads were treated a little bit differently. And it's funny as, as a... And you would never know this about me now, of course, but, uh, but as, as a redhead, you don't think of yourself as a redhead. You just think of yourself as a person. But then you go around the world, everyone else thinks you as a redhead. And way back then, they would treat you as such, right? And so uh, I remember, so that's the back, kind of the backdrop of the story. And I remember this girl came up to me and she just kind of gave me the look. And she says this, um, do you think that you'll ever grow up to look like your dad. And I, I don't blame her, man. I had buck teeth. My hair, my red hair was all over the place. I, I looked like, I mean, I, I looked, I looked, I looked bad, right? <laughs> In other words, what, what, what was she saying? She's saying, you ugly. <laughs> and your dad's handsome. So good luck with that, Chris, right? Well, it's, it's so funny. It's like that look and um, that, that implicit statement that I was inadequate. I'm going to be really honest with you. It formed the lens by which I saw myself in the world for years and years and years and years. Don't you dare tell me that words don't matter. Yeah. 
Come on, you all, we all can relate to this. Someone has said something or gave you the look or did something off color, and you're like, I, 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 what? I wasn't trying to do anything to you. I'm a person, right? Well, in an early age, and again, that's an example of cursing, but in an early age, we inhale and internalize cursing. And what happens, it leads to chronic depression. And in my opinion, this leads to what we see today, all the contempt and all the scapegoating and all the ridicule and all the shaming. In other words, words of one scholar, when we operate out of a cursed consciousness, we look at the world through the lens of a cursed consciousness. And what do we do? We ridicule and we shame and we rage on the world. Why is there so much contempt in our world? Is because so many people feel contempt for themselves. Why is that? It's because so many people have not been blessed. They've been cursed. Let me just say this, because many of you don't want to admit it, but we, we, don't, we don't see the world objectively, guys. You don't. I reject this epistemic standpoint view, which, which essentially says that as a victim, I can see everything. I can see objective truth. It's false. No one in this room sees the world or even themselves objectively. So we don't project onto the world some objective truth. Usually what we do is we project what's inside of us onto others. Are you hearing me? So the contempt that we project, not us, other churches down the road that project. But the contempt that we project onto others is the residual flowing from the interiority of our own hearts. This is Jesus stuff. Please hear me. So the reason why we ridicule and shame and belittle and the reason why we're so stressed out and the reason why we, we struggle even with fatigue and chronic depression is because of the way we feel inside of ourselves and that is because we have been cursed. You with me? A growing number of experts suggest that the hunger for the Father's blessing is one of the deepest hungers in the whole world. I'm slowing down a little bit because I want, to, I want you to hear me on this. But unfortunately, many of us have not received a Father's blessing. For that matter, we haven't even received our mother's blessing or our boss's blessing or our coach's blessing or our teacher's blessing, right? And because of that, we operate out of a deficit. And this deficit is formed by a curse. And this deficit is basically a void of not being blessed. And we carry around, I don't know why I'm whispering, but just go with me. We carry around this cursed consciousness. We feel inadequate. We feel shame. We feel flat. We feel colorless. We're like, ah, why do I feel the way that we feel? Or I feel. Cursing essentially says that you're not worth it, right? Maybe not that you're worthless, but you're just not worth it. You're not worth my time. I'm going to treat you how I want to treat you. I'm going to treat you like just any old thing, right? This is kind of utilitarianism par excellence. So we treat people in, in a utilitarian way, right? 
And by doing that, we, we curse them. So what do we practically do? How do we become a community that structures itself around blessing? First, let me define blessing. Blessing, according to one scholar, the verb to bless is derived from a compound Latin word which means well and to speak. Blessing literally means to speak well of. To bless someone or the act of blessing in its most basic form is to speak well of someone. Or in other words, to participate in non-depression, joy, delight, hope, and wonder. So how do we, with this definition of blessing, how do we rupture the fabric of content, uh, excuse, not contentment, but um, uh, cursing and uh, chronic depression and all the things that we experience in our world, even in our own lives? First, I would like to suggest that as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, and this is hard because many times, man, it feels like war when it comes to our identity. We must remember that the, what the Father spoke over the Son, Jesus at his baptism, the Father also speaks over us. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, uh, four, uh, 13 through 14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing, everyone say blessing, of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us, kind of connects the baptism of Jesus with our identity as followers of Jesus. And basically he makes the argument that we are buried into his death. We are, we are planted into the death of Jesus. And I say this all the time, but it's so important for us as American Christians to remember this. Our lives are summed up in baptism, in faith, in repentance. Our lives are summed up in the life of Jesus. In other words, you can't dislocate our life from the life of Jesus. Can I get an amen? And I say this all the time, and I ripped off a scholar, right? But it's important for you to understand this is not just a cheap platitude. You need to get this in your heart because this forms the basic identity of every Christian. And it's this. What is true of Jesus is also true of us. I know that might sound heretical for some of us, but I'm not saying that we are like on the same level of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying through the achievements of Jesus, what did he do? He went to the cross for you and I as our representative. He took on the curse. He took on all the sin. He, he exhausted cosmic powers and all their evil in his body. And then he came back from the dead and he launched new creation. And so you are intimately connected to that victory that happened 2,000 years ago. And this is important. Let me say this. Feelings are so important. Feelings help us, to, they're diagnostic. They help us to figure out what's going on in our lives, right? What's good, what's bad, and, and what we're experiencing. So we're not in any way trying to downplay feelings, but feelings are not facts. Feelings, they, they, they're not objective truth. You can feel wrong, and many of us feel wrong as followers of Jesus on particular days, especially if your parents are seven kids and you just feel upside down, right? But you have to remember that irrespective of how you feel, 
those feelings are not facts. Those feelings are not objectively true about you. What's objectively true about you is that your life is intimately bound up in the life of Jesus. Jesus died to cursing and Jesus died to death itself and Jesus destroyed it all and then he came back into life and you, without achieving one single thing or earning one single thing or doing one single thing, enter into that victory. Many of us as, as American Christians, we don't understand this. Like we think of ourselves as selves. We think of ourselves as autonomous creatures where we curate our own spirituality and we do what we do, right? We, we have choices and, and we think of ourselves as individuals and we don't think of ourselves as intimately connected to Jesus. Remember, if you want to walk in a blessed consciousness, you're going to have to practice remembering that, man, I am not alone in the cosmos. I am not a stranger. I am not a foreigner. Come on, somebody. I am not without hope. I am not without God. I am a family member. I am I belong to Jesus himself because of what Jesus has done for me and here's the thing when you start to op remember this you're going to begin to operate in this consciousness I'm not trying to psychoanalyze everybody I'm not your therapist therapist here today but please hear me I'm trying to give you a theological background of how when we begin to understand this this blessed consciousness we then start to bless other people. I, I'm sick and tired of Christians cursing other people and other Christians. And Christians, just so you know, Christians, we have a, we have a calling that God has not given the world. And that's the calling to bless and to love even our enemies, even people that we hate. And I know I might be offending you. This does not mean that we don't condemn what's wrong. We, of course we condemn what's wrong. Of course we speak truth to, to the powers. But man, we, we as the body of Christ have been given a calling to bless and to love the world. Second, how do we rupture the fabric of, of, of um, cursing and sin that we find ourselves in? I, I think we have to think about it in proximity. In other words, we bless the world by blessing the people in our world, right? So what does that mean? This, I'm being really practical here today. I think we have to identify the people in our world and bless them, right? Here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, well, Chris, most of the time, the people in my world, I don't want to bless. Raise your, I'm kidding, don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? Blessing is not predicated on how you feel. Blessing is an act of obedience. But here's the thing. Even if you don't feel like blessing someone, when we bless others, guess what happens? I'm ripping off one scholar we begin to act like God. And when we begin to act like God, guess what? We begin to feel what God feels. And God is not depressed. God is filled with joy and delight. So the more you bless other people through your words, the more blessed 
you will fill and the more joy you will fill. And not only will you help to lift the cursing off of other people's lives, you will also, you will see in your life, actualized in your heart, in your mind, the lifting of curses that people have spoken over you. And you will experience what we find in the creation story and what we find in the baptism of Jesus. Utter and sheer delight. Here's the good news and bad news of joy and delight. You can't fake joy and delight. Joy and delight have to take, have to, to take you over, right? Right. They, they have to come in and, and through the work of the Holy Spirit have to do their work. But when you participate in blessing, you begin to act like God. And when you act like God, you feel what he feels. And over time, you begin to experience this untrammeled joy that we find that is available in the Bible by the Holy Spirit for every son and daughter that is called by the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? So how, quickly, as I close, how do we again rupture the fabric of, or the, the things of cursing and sin and all of what we experience contempt in our world? Uh, one, one scholar suggests there are three aspects of blessing that we can think about during any given week. Number one, this is how we can bless people. Are you ready? See them. See your people. Remember, God, at the beginning of the day, what he said, he spoke and life explodes onto the scene. And remember at night, what does he do? He sees his creation and then he delights in it and says it's very, very good. See the people in your life. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that people want to be noticed. Some of you, the reason why you go to Starbucks and get that pesticide-filled brew of coffee. I'm half hippie, guys. I'm half, I'm half hippie. The reason why you do that is not because of the coffee. It's because you want to be noticed. You want to be seen. Like, I've experienced it. I love going to my Starbucks place, and there's a guy named Bob. I love Bob. Man, Bob is my favorite, full of joy. He's a follower of Jesus. He always gives me an encouraging word. I just love being noticed by Bob, right? There is, in other words, an innate desire built in to us by God himself to want to be seen, to want to be noticed. It's funny, I, I have some friends who, um, they pastor a very large church, five, 10,000 people. There's this one guy, he told me this story. This one guy, he would uh, purposely go, go and try to meet with the pastor. And he would get into a conversation with these pastors, and great conversation, and the pastors would call him bro, 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 bro. And at the end, this guy, he's a little bit off, but this guy would then ask, at the end of their conversation with this pastor, he would say, uh, do you know my name? And the pastors were like, ah, ha, 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 right? And then he would take it to the next level. He said, he would always say this, he said, say my name. Now, they have a big church, almost 10,000 people, and it's hard to know everyone's name, right? And if you do that to me today, I'll take you out in the parking lot. We'll have a fight. I'll fight you. I'll take Kano and Shane. We'll fight. Right? Like, what's wrong with this pastor? You're like, ah. 
But here's the thing, innate within us is a desire to be seen, see. It's funny, we have many rules in our house, but one of the major rules that we have is when mom and dad are on the phone, kids, you gotta be quiet. Never works, never has happened. Over 10 years of having kids, it's weird when they see that we're on the phone. How many parents have experienced this? They do the opposite. They find a flute, they find a cowbell. Where did that come from? My son will bring down his harmonica and play it as I'm in an intense conversation and I'm like, right? Here, it's, it's, it's innate within our children, it's innate within us. We wanna be seen, they're trying to get our attention. So many times my kids, like little King, a couple days ago was like, watch me, watch me, as he just whimsically, like my wife did when she was younger, walk around and he's just walking around. I'm like, oh, that's great, son. Yes, but he's like, daddy, watch me, right? How many parents have, we, have, have you heard this? Dad, dad, or dads or moms. Dad, mom, dad, mom, dad, 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 dad. And it doesn't stop. Dad, dad, dad. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, right? Okay, I see you. You know, we, we want to be seeing. Here's the thing, seeing is affirmation. When you see your kids, when you put down the phone and you get out of your world, and when you, dads, when you drive up to the, <laughs> when you drive up to the house, you take five minutes and you pray for God's grace. <laughs> and you go in there and you put everything aside. I'm still working on this. This is not something I've perfected, but you put everything to the side and you go in and you just notice. And when you notice, you are, what are you doing? You're acting like God. You're saying, I see you. And when you, when you, when you notice, right, they notice that you notice. And in noticing, they're blessed. And then what happens? Your kids, their hearts soften and they start operating from a place of blessing as opposed to cursing. Two, second component of blessing as I end here, we have to speak well of our people. Have to speak well. We know this, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Our, our past memory verse for the month for our families, Ephesians 4.29, and it says it's through your words we build up lives, right? We encourage people. That word encourage basically is an architect work. Uh, word. And I tell my kids, hey guys, you're like architects. You can either build or tear down each other. What are you going to do? Right? And they tear each other down. Anyways, that's just, <laughs> we're working on that part. But speaking well, when you speak well of someone, hey man, that meant, wow, that was amazing. That's, that's to bless someone. Right? I, I just think, man, we need to do a better job of encouraging in the church and speaking well of each other and stop talking about so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. Why, why don't we, we co-opt our language and we start or hijacking it? I don't know what, why I'm saying this, but maybe we need to take back our language and, and start using blessing words rather than cursing words. I remember as I closed, as a young man, I went to a camp and all I wanted to do, and some of you have heard this before, but all I wanted to be and all I wanted to do was, was to play basketball in the NBA. And uh, the last night we had this pastor, he's preaching and then he, he stops his preaching and he starts prophesying over every person. I'm the last person 
that he prays over and prophesies over. And I'm hoping, I remember I'm sitting here, my hands open. If, if you're not a charismatic, just this is what we do. We just kind of open our hands, we close our eyes and we wait for the prophet to come. And then we pray really hard that he doesn't expose all our secret sins. <laughs> so I'm sweating, right? Oh God, oh God. Please forgive me for saying that to my sister. Please forgive me for whatever. But he came and he, this is what he said, and it changed my life. He said, Chris, um, I, I sense this is what God's saying, that you're like this, this lake that was right next to our campground, and there's parts, there's depths that you can't even touch. And that is how God has made you. You think in a different way. God's giving you a wisdom gift. God's gonna let you be a kid. He's gonna let you play basketball, but there's one day, one day, he's gonna give you major responsibility in the kingdom of God. And I remember thinking, I've shared this before, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> stink. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that word. Oh, stink. You know, I'm just like, I wanted to be the next great athlete, right? I wanted to be MJ, right? Some of you don't, Michael Jordan? Yeah. My God, all right. <laughs> I need to, yeah, educate you. Um, but it was that moment that changed, changed everything. It's something that, uh, altered the, the entire course of, of my destiny. That's what it's like to be blessed. And some of you have not experienced that. And I wanna pray over you here pretty soon. God's blessing over your life. Thirdly, what, what can we do? Well, we can um, give some of our lives away. John 12, 23 through 26 says this, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, do we have that? I don't know if we have that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, uh, loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is saying, in order to bless the world, you gotta give your life away. Parenting is, guys, it's death, right? It's daily dying to yourself, giving your energy, your time, and your resources to your children, and we have, we have been called to do that. The Father, the Father in the creation story gives himself to creation. The baptism of Jesus, the Spirit is given to Jesus, and as the Spirit is given to Jesus, Jesus gives his life away. That's why I think we need to get behind foster and care, a heart. Foster and heart. This is why we need to get behind fostering children. This is why we, we need to give our time. We need to give our energy. We need to give our blessing. We need to give our substance. We need to give our soul to the people in our world. And that is when people are blessed. Come on. No, I want to lift this cursed consciousness off of people. And we do that when we give our lives away. Finally, as I close, we can do this. This is the practical practical thing that we can do this week uh, and I get this from it's kind of a cliche in the world of relationships I'm sure you've heard of this or, or maybe you're an educator and you practice this but I think this is this is pretty interesting I think we need to practice the five to one ratio as followers of Jesus in other words in the world in, in the words of, of or in the world of a relationship the five to one ratio is for every one negative interaction you need to engage in five positive ones in other words if you wanna have a healthy organization, a healthy marriage, a healthy family, you have to bless way more than you correct. In fact, the more you bless someone, 
the more their heart softens and the more receptive they become to you. And in that softening, you can then bring correction, right? Now, I, you know, in, in, we're raising seven kids, so it's like correction, 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 correction. So I don't know how we're going to do this, so pray for us, right? But we need to learn to bless more than we correct. So my wife and I, we're still working on this. We, we, when we wake up, we're going to bless and bless and bless and bless and bless. And then throughout the day, there's a lot of just disobedience and a lot of crying and whining and a lot of correction, right? And we get tired and we get exhausted. But then at night, we're going to bless and bless and bless and bless. Come on, somebody. And we're going to bless them. And we're going to bless them some more. Even if they suck that day, we're going to like, oh, bless you. I'm exhausted. But I'm going to bless you. This is the kind of people we are. Yes, we correct. Yes, we have to challenge attitudes and assumptions, but we only do that within the five to one ratio. In fact, relationship experts will tell you that if it's one to one ratio, in other words, you, only, you have for every positive interaction, you have one negative interaction, that's a recipe for disaster. We are called to bless more than correct and more than curse and more than anything that we do. And when we bless, we lift contempt. We lift the curse. Come on, somebody. We fill people with joy and delight and hope, and we help form and shape their identity. And not just their identity, your identity as well is shaped and formed as you learn to practice blessing. Remember, when you act like God, you feel what he feels. And that is joy and delight. Can I get an amen? amen. Can you give Jesus a hand this morning? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace. And I know we have to go and I don't want to hustle through this but I know there's some people that have a cursed mindset. They've never been blessed by a, a father, a mother, a coach, a teacher. And they're wounded. And they love you, Jesus, but they're just wounded and they're seeing the world through the cursing that they've experienced in their life. I pray today, right now, that you would set them free. That they would hear the words of their father over them, the words of love, the words of delight, the words of blessing. Right now, in Jesus' name. People were being said, some of you, you're identifying, your eyes are, you're identifying a moment when someone said something over you. And I just see Jesus washing that from your mind and your heart. Some of you, Jesus is, is, He's restructuring your entire lens by which you see the world. From this day, I just see it. There's some of you from this day forward, you're not going to see the world through a cursed lens. You're going to see it through a blessed lens. God's going to begin to do something fresh in your identity and who you are. God's going to speak to you. You're going to hear his voice. So I pray that over every son and daughter here this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And we say yes to that. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. 
Come on, church, say yes to the Holy Spirit. We say yes, Holy Spirit. Right now, do your work. Do your healing. Holy Spirit, you are working in our hearts. Inadequacy, go in Jesus' name. This thing that God can't use me because I did such and such, go in Jesus' name. This thought that just keeps you from fulfilling the purposes of God, we, we, man, we declare that a lie in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you right now as a pastor of this local church, I respectfully stand as your representative and I bless every person in this room. Some of you are saying, well, I've never been blessed. Well, right now, your pastor, the redhead up here, representing Jesus himself is blessing you right now. No, that doesn't, that doesn't count because you don't know me. Yes, it does count because I'm standing as a representative of Jesus himself and he sees you and he knows you. He knows your name. He knows your past. Come on, somebody. He knows what you've been through and he knows your future and he's saying you are blessed. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter and I delight in you and your pastor right now is just simply communicating that message the thousand people in this room I declare blessing over you in the mighty name of Jesus amen go and look at me how many of you want to make a commitment this week this is a challenge to bless more than to critique. All right, everyone, all right. <laughs> stay in, stay in. Father, we, I know we gotta go, and I go way too long, but I'm done. I'm not gonna speak for another three years, so we're good. Lord, we wanna be blessers of people. We wanna honor authority. Lord, we wanna bless people. We wanna bless our children. We wanna bless our enemies. Lord, we want to bless our work co-workers. We want to bless those we just don't like. We want to bless, 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 bless. We want to smile at people. We want to see people. We want to speak well of. And we also want to give our resources and our time and our energy to serve and to build for your kingdom in this city. So with every person standing, can you raise your hand? We say yes to the challenge. We are going to be a community that blesses. Come on, somebody. We are not going to be a community that ridicules. We're not going to scapegoat. We're not going to treat people with shame and contempt. We're not going to speak unwell of people, but we're going to speak well of people. We're going to fill people with delight and joy and hope in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Lord, I thank you for filling us with faith. And as we do that, you're going to lift off depression from us. You're going to lift off cursing from us. You're going to lift off shame from us. In your name, we pray. And everyone's said. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.